Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. If you would give your attention to our Jumpstart leader. We have every fifth Sunday of the month a children's moment in service because we have the older kids in service with us as a family time together. So, Emily, I almost ate that because I thought somebody left me that. No, please don't. Good morning, North Maine. Um, Like Brandon said, my name's Emily, and most Sundays right now, you would find me upstairs with our first through sixth graders. Um, This is the fifth Sunday of the month, so we are doing family worship today, so I thought it would be a great time for me to share um, a lesson with those kiddos and then to share with you guys what we've been talking about this past month, which is gratitude and thankfulness. Um, So I brought with me, this is what um, Pastor Brandon is talking about that he wanted to eat, um, one of my favorite treats, and that is... A donut. So who here likes donuts? Somebody has to because I just walked past the gathering place and there's like none left back there. So someone is eating those. So this donut that I have, does it look pretty good? There's nothing wrong with it. Doesn't look incomplete, like it's missing anything, lacking anything. I think we can all agree that this donut looks pretty delicious. It does have to have icing. I didn't want to bring an icing one because... I didn't want to get all sticky, which I already am. So yeah, donuts have icing, sprinkles. We would never look at a donut and think, there's something wrong with that. But donuts have holes in the middle of them. That never stops us from eating donuts, does it? We don't let the hole in the middle stop us from enjoying the deliciousness um, of a donut. We are focused on the parts of the donut that we like, the dough, the frosting, the icing, and even sometimes sprinkles. We can learn a great life lesson from donuts, and that is, as you go through life, make it your goal, look at the donut and not the hole. So just like that donut in our lives, we should be more focused on the blessings and the sweet things in our lives, not the things that are missing or or the things that we don't like. Focusing our eyes on God and the blessings that he gives us and not the holes or the troubles in our lives. That is easier said than done, especially after a year like this one. We might feel like we've missed out on a lot of things, right? Um, But we can focus on the good things that came out of this year. So God has been calling me um, lately to focus on those things. So the good things that came out of this year for me are um, I got to spend more time at home with the people that I live with. I got to spend more time outdoors. I spent way more time than I used to studying God's word, so I learned some good habits. And I also learned how to use Zoom, which I don't know about anyone else, but I did not know how to use Zoom before all of this. So that mindset reminds me of one of our uh, Bible verses that we learned um, this past month, and that is Psalms 136.1. Give thanks to the Lord because he is good. His faithful love continues forever. We always have something to be thankful for, and that is Jesus Christ. We just took communion right now, and when we take communion, we are called to remember and focus on um, what Jesus Christ did for us. And because of that, we can have more joy in our lives. And then also, Advent season um, is starting up, and that calls us to focus on the birth of Jesus and what that means for us and the joy that comes from that. 
But I want to tell you that it doesn't have to be a special holiday or communion for us to be thinking about those things. God calls us to think about those things all the time and all the blessings in our lives that come from those. Um, so another verse I have is Colossians 3.17, which says, And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And remember, as you go through life, make it your goal, look at the donut, and not the whole. Um, and before I pray, I just want to share two things. Um, if you are in sixth grade or younger in the service today, they, there are activity bags for you to grab um, for during this service. They are by the computers at the orange entrance. And also after the service today, I will be passing out Advent calendars um, for families. They are super cute. And um, they have an activity for each day in Advent um, and to get you thinking about what Advent means to us. So let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your love that endures forever. Thank you for being the one that we can focus our eyes on when our lives seem to have holes. Help, get, help us to feel thankful at all times and allow that to have an impact on our world. Keep us focused on you and the many blessings you give us. In your name we pray, amen. amen. Where, where can they find you to get an advent calendar after service uh, if they want one? Right outside the orange doors. Right outside the orange doors next to the children's ministry entrance. Okay, thank you very much, Emily. As I mentioned earlier, we are closing out a series today, um, or as somebody mentioned, I may not have mentioned it, I may just thought it and thought I mentioned it. Anyway, we're closing out a series today on, on the fight for joy, and joy is a fight. It's a difficult thing to achieve this side of heaven, especially when the world rages around you or even just your little world that you have rages it's hard to muster joy in the midst of tragedy and difficulty. But what does James remind us in James chapter 1? Consider it pure joy, my friends, when you encounter troubles or trials of many kinds. And the problem, or not the problem, but the reason is because joy, or excuse me, the, the um, testing of that joy produces endurance, endurance produces faith, and faith makes us complete. All right, and that's the whole purpose behind that. Entitled today's message, Finishing the Race. Finishing the Race, we're going to be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 4 today, the first eight verses of that chapter to close out this series. The question I had coming into the message today is this, is there anything that you've started but never finished? And when a lot of the wives are elbowing their husbands, no, no, that's good, that's good. Uh, anything you've started but not finished, in any time in your life, have you started something that was good, but you got partway into it, you might have gotten halfway into it, or maybe even almost to the very end and never finished? I have people that tell me, yeah, I'm like one three-credit-hour class away from a bachelor's degree. Go get the three-credit-hour class, you know? Well, I don't need it now. That's okay, but just finish it. There's a part of me that likes to have completion. But I have to admit, there are things in my own life that I've started and not completed. That I've started and not completed. Finishing the race, as we'll learn today, more specifically, he's talking about a spiritual race, but there's habits in life that we should be forming that 
help us to step into the reality of finishing what we start. Now, are there things that we start that we shouldn't have started in the first place? Yes, and it's okay to step off, step off of that race. Some of us are in the wrong race for the wrong reasons. Some of us are in the right race for the wrong reasons. The reality is we need to be in the right race for the right reasons, and we're going to look at that today as we look at this passage in Timothy. Now, Timothy is not Paul, but Timothy is a protege of Paul or somebody that Paul was mentoring. Paul even mentions in, in, his, uh, in his letters that Timothy was like a son to him, and, and he treated him like a son. He poured life into him. I, I've mentioned before, as believers in Christ, we should all have a Paul, a Timothy, and a Barnabas in our lives as much as we should also be a Paul, a Timothy, and a Barnabas in somebody else's life. Now, what does that mean? Paul, being the older, wiser person, is pouring into Timothy's life. Barnabas was one of Paul's partners that traveled with him on his missionary journeys. And Barnabas, we know, was a great encourager, a peer, somebody that's there beside him. And then a Timothy, who is Timothy, is somebody that we pour ourselves into. We should be that for others, but we should have that in our lives as well. And you can't sit like a bump on a log expecting that to come to you. You have to go seek it, okay? Uh, that's just a side note, had nothing to do with the message. But let me explain with Paul writing to Timothy, what Paul is doing is he's writing to Timothy from prison in chains, encouraging Timothy in his work at the church at Ephesus. We know that Paul wrote a letter to the Ephesian church. We have it in our New Testament Bible. It's called Ephesians. And, and we, we see that that letter of encouragement to the church at Ephesus is also kind of correlates to Paul's instructions of Timothy in 1st and 2nd Timothy. Check it out sometime. Read them side by side. And the key point today before I get to the passage, I'm switching it up on our person upstairs, I apologize for that, is the fight of faith is not easy, but it's good. I mentioned this last week, we were talking about running the, the fight of the good fight of faith. It is a good fight, but it is a fight. Let me remind you of last week. It isn't meant to come easy. It's just not. A lot of people struggle with this idea to, that, that if I believe in Jesus and I have faith in him, it should be easy. But it's not. Quite the contrary, it's really hard. I mean, raising my own kids to, to understand what faith is and what belief is in a God you cannot see is sometimes difficult and it's difficult for them to grasp as they grow older. As little children, it's not as difficult to grasp. They believe with a wide-eyed sense of wonder, but as they grow and become even deeper critical thinkers, that belief gets set aside into this place of, well, what is real and what is not? Faith is something that has to be fought for. Fight the good fight of faith, as we talked about last week. And this week, we're talking about finishing the race. And the way to finish the race is to fight that good fight, knowing that it's good, but it's not always easy. The difficulty is, and I have people talk to me about this a lot. Um, I thought when I came to Christ, things would get better, Pastor. And they do, but maybe not in the way you expect them to. 
You see, I think we have the problem of expectation because our expectations are on the wrong things and in the, in the wrong things. Why do we think that if Jesus died on the cross and had to suffer and die, that it's going to be easy for us? I mean, it cost him his life. But yeah, but then he gives us salvation. Yeah, but salvation from what? What's the question? What is he saving us from? He's saving us from our own demise because we are all captive to sin before Christ. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glorious standard of God, Romans 3.23. We're all in the same sinking boat. The only way to be saved is through Christ Jesus, right? But faith in him requires us to get out of a sinking boat. But some of us find it comfortable to stay in a sinking boat because it's all we've ever known. Do you understand what I'm saying? The comfortable in this world keeps us saturated in a disposition of apathy and indifference. Sure, we want what's over there, but in order to get there, seems impossible. And the reality is, it is. Because you can't get out of a sinking boat and save yourself, not spiritually speaking. The reality of this whole thing is, there is someone who can save you. And unless you stop fighting against him, you cannot be saved. Fighting the good fight of faith is fighting with him, knowing that he has fought that fight and won the victory on the cross in the empty tomb. And then as we continue to fight, we keep reminding ourselves that no matter how bad this life gets, the battle over sin and death is won. My salvation is bought by his blood. He is my savior, and no matter what this life brings, I can stand rest assured that my hope is secure. I used to sing that song, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. The problem is, I think, in our culture, in our day and age, we struggle against other things that keep our eyes off of that prize in that race that we're running. We've convinced ourselves that if I just do more, act better, don't talk this way, treat other people better, then, I, and then I'm going to achieve. And it's not about anything you could do. See, that's the point, and I mentioned this in my class this morning, that's the point of the book of Job. I don't, Job keeps resurfacing in my life lately. I don't know if it's the year. Now, I'm not going through what Job went through. Please understand, I'm not saying that. I've not lost, I've been, I'm, I'm extremely blessed. But the story of Job keeps resurfacing. What does it keep resurfacing? I'm not quite sure, but there's a common theme that I'm noticing in the world today. 
That we think if we are blessed and we're not running into difficulties and if we're not sick and we're not, you know, encountering trials and troubles, then God is pouring out his blessing on us, approving of who we are and what we're doing. But the opposite, we think, is true as well, that if things are going bad in life, if our health isn't good, if this or that and this and that, then God is obviously cursing or punishing us and disciplining us and The whole story of Job kind of blows all of that nonsense out of the water. That's that prosperity gospel that continues to get perpetuated today in a false gospel that leads people astray. Jesus says, often in this world you will have troubles of many kinds, but take heart. Why? Because I've overcome the world. See, he's promising us something. Well, actually, he's promising us two things. You will have troubles. As a matter of fact, he says to his own believers, you're going to have to suffer for my sake. Remember, when they hate you, they hated me. They're going to hate you for following me, for loving me. You're going to be ostracized. You're going to be condemned. You're going to be persecuted. It's going to happen. Just brace yourself. But when that happens, remember that I have overcome that. And because I've overcome that, you too can overcome that. See, that is the good news. That's why we call it good news. Because we have salvation that the world does not know of but desperately needs to know. Now, That was the sermon before the sermon, and we will get done sooner than later. But let me get to 2 Timothy real quick and read this through. Paul writes, I solemnly urge you, talking to Timothy, verse 1, 2 Timothy chapter 4. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he appears to set up his kingdom, preach the word of God, be prepared whether the time is favorable or not, patiently correct, rebuke, encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming, he warns, when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. Some of your versions may have sound doctrine. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. Does that ever happen? I don't like what this pastor or that church is saying, so I'm going to go find somebody who's going to make me feel better. I can't tell you the conversations I've had in 21 years of ministry, not just with me as the lead pastor, but even as an associate pastor, where people will come and say, I just don't like so-and-so, or I don't like so, and, and the question I always go back to is what they're teaching, not biblical. Because if they're teaching false teaching, then yes, red flag, you need, to, you, need to probably, you need to probably either confront it head on, deal with it, or move on. But if what they're teaching is biblical, and if they're living it out in a biblical way, but you just don't like their personality type, that's a whole different conversation. I get it. 
I have certain teachers and leaders I follow on podcasts because I love to listen to their messages and they resonate with me. And, and I get that for you too, if that's, if that's what's going on, if that's what's happened. But there's too many times and there's too much of this consumerism mentality within the church that says, well, if I'm not getting what I want here, then I'll get it from somewhere else. I need it to tickle me. I need it. And we, we wouldn't say that, right? We wouldn't just outright come out and say that. But we may live that out. We may be in denial of it, but we live it out. This is happening in the church. It's not just happening now. It's happened for 2,000 years in the established church. There have been false teachers that have been have infiltrated the church from day one that try to tell people what they want to hear to get them pulled away from God's church and into a false uh, teaching that will lead to ultimate destruction. This is why, and I'm going to mention this in a moment, we need to be wise as serpents and as innocent as doves as believers in Christ. Jesus' own words in one of the Gospels, you need to be, church, you need to be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. Test everything that's told to you against the litmus test of Scripture. I say this often. Don't believe it just because I say it. Look it up. Study it. Study to show yourself approved. Don't study to show me approved. That's on me, not on you. Study to show yourself approved. And line up what I'm saying against the background of Scripture to make sure I'm not teaching something false. Just as much as you would anybody else. He goes on in verse 5. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. That's really hard. Keep a clear mind in every situation. I have what's called a muddy mind. My mind often is in conflict, constantly wandering from one thing to another to another. I've been that way since a kid. Before ADHD was a thing, I had it. I was the kid that sat by, you may have heard me tell you, I was the kid that sat by those big metal cabinets, you know, where they keep the supplies uh, on the side of class. I remember I was in um, third grade probably, opened the cabinets. This is when they had the Elmer's glue and the one-gallon jugs. And you could screw the big lid off. And I would open it. And while the teacher's teaching, stick my hand in there and pull out a glue glove. (laughs) Didn't remember a thing she was teaching. But I remember my glue glove, right? (laughs) And I remember patiently trying, and that would get really anxious and just start peeling it, you know. I mean, this is how my mind works. We have muddy minds, don't we? They go from this to this to this to this to this, and the difficulty is in maintaining focus. See, in running a race, which Paul will talk about, it's about focus. There's an end goal. There's a reason for running. It's not about getting distracted, and when we get distracted, we get off course. And when we get off course, we get in the weeds, and sometimes we get stuck, and sometimes we need help out. Sometimes we get tired, and we sit on the sidelines. It's somebody else's chance. I've worked all these years in the church. It's, it's the younger generation. No, you just set off on the court. You're ra- Are you dead? Then your race isn't done. Continue. Get back up off your keister and keep running. 
We're in this together. Keister, it's a Kentucky term. All right, let's continue. As for me, and this is where he concludes this, this segment. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. Why is he saying that? Because he knows it's the end of his time. He's in prison. He's held captive. And he's going to be tried before the Roman courts. And we know ultimately because history tells us he dies of beheading as fitting a Roman citizen. He dies for his faith. And he knows that as he's talking to Timothy. He says, the time of my death is near. I've fought the good fight. I have finished the race. See, some of us have the sheer pleasure, if you call it that, of being able to see the end of the line. Some of us don't. And like I tell people, you don't know if, you get, if you're going to be promised the next breath. See, Paul knew what was getting ready to happen. He may not have known the exact day it was going to happen, but he knew that he was going to die for his faith. He was in prison. He was going to be tried. It was going to result in his execution. He could see it on the horizon. But not every one of us know that. We're in a race, and sometimes it feels like, where's the end of this thing? Where's the end of this race? I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I'm frustrated. Things aren't going my way. I keep stumbling and stumbling my toe and getting skinned knees. You knew I used to race. I told you that back in the day. This physique doesn't show it now, but I did race. Half marathons, 10Ks, 5Ks, those kind of things. And trust me when I'm telling you, putting your body to the test in preparation for those kind of things, put your body through a multitude of difficulties. I still have knee problems right here in the side of my knee. I can feel it's it's starting to snow. I I can feel the pain in my knees from the wear and tear on the joints. And conditioning yourself and realizing that you get chafed in spots you never thought you could ever get chafed, you know? And those kind of things happen all the time when you're conditioning and continuing to run. That happens in running a race. It's not easy. It's hard. But we know that the end result is good. I remember running and just to finish, cross the finish line. Whether I was first, second, third, which never happened, or 1,500. You know, it was something to finish. I've got my kids convinced I finished first because I still have that medal on my wall in my office. But it's like I placed like, you seriously, out of like 5,000 people, I was like 15. No, I wasn't even that far ahead. <laughs> I was way in the back of the pack. But I finished. I finished. And It's hard. I finished the race, he says, and my death is near. I fought the good fight. I finished the race, and I've remained what? Faithful. Faithful. I didn't sit down on the side. There were times I wanted to. Oh, God knows I wanted to sit down. God knows that that when when I kept falling down, that I just wanted to stay down. But I had to get up. God knows that. 
God knows I wept part of the way. Because it's hard. God knows of the rejection. Because I kept running and others fell off course. And though I tried to get them to come back on course with me, they wouldn't. But I couldn't stay there. I had to keep running. Where are you in this race? He goes on. And now the prize awaits me. I have finished the race. I've remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. He's saying, listen, I'm running the race. I'm toward the end of it, but you guys are still in it. Timothy, you're still in this race. You're just starting out. I mean, you, the end of your race may be sooner than later, but you're just starting out, and you, you have a whole long life ahead of you, hopefully. Stay committed to the race. And let me get through these points real quick. Here's this. The first one is, our, in our endeavors to live out our faith, we must be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. I'll share my faith when the moment is perfect. I'll give a reason for the hope that's in me exactly when I know the time is right. You know, if I, if I waited for every opportune time to share my faith, I'd never share my faith because there's never, in my mind, the perfect time. Well, except for Sunday mornings when I'm standing on stage preaching a sermon because it's expected. But how many of you get an opportunity like this? Not many. But we all get opportunities daily. All of us. See, the Great Commission isn't just for pastors. It's for all people. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, and remember I'm with you to the end of the age. So we have this promise in the midst of this mission that we have been given. And this mission is a race to run. Go make disciples. Don't sit and make disciples. Go make, get out. Move along. As you are on the road, do this. We have similar, we have similar um, teaching in Deuteronomy 6. And we talk about this during baby dedication, but it's a universal teaching we can actually apply to now. And that is, and some of my students that might be here remember these, there were these boxes that you'd tie to your hands if you were an Orthodox Jew, and you'd tie them to your foreheads. They look, they look like little mini top hats on the front of your forehead, but they're actually boxes called phylacteries. And they would tie these phylacteries, these boxes that contained the word of God in them, scripture in them, to their arms and to their foreheads, taking literally to bind them to your forehead, to tie them to your arms. So why was it, where were they told that in Deuteronomy? Because when I'm working, as we all do, I'm using these. They're always in the front of me. They're always active and moving, doing things, hopefully, to not only benefit myself, but to benefit others. 
And if I keep scripture near my head, what am I doing? Not by osmosis, letting it sink in through a box. But the whole idea is keep it in your head. Keep it in front of you, on your hands, every place you look. It said, write it on the door frames and on the lentils as you go in and out of your house. Teach these things to your children and their children to their children and so on and so forth. Why? Because it's a race and everybody runs it. Each generation has to take the baton from the next. As it finishes the race, then we start it and we continue. It's a perpetual motion until the race is done. Not just for each individual, but for all time and all people in all places at the second coming of Christ. That's what we eagerly await as believers in Christ. We know that someday, thank God, all of this chaos in the world, sin and death, will be banished once and for all. The residue of evil will not even be around. It will be condemned to the lake of fire, as we're told in Revelation, along with those who have never repented and continue to perpetuate a sense of evil in their own lives and in others' lives by their actions and their belief. What's the next thing? Second thing is there will be people who reject the truth and chase after myths. Listen, when we're prepared and ready, you're going to get rejected. Oh, you're one of those people. Oh, you believe, you believe in the Bible? It's a book of fiction. Are you kidding me? How can you believe that nonsense? It's been proven to be false. Science is the, you're a science denier. I mean, it's to use a common phrase that's out there today. You know what's interesting, though? Being a student of Scripture for so many decades at this point, it's interesting to me that the authors of Scripture could know what they knew in their day and age without the marvels of modern technology. Uh, it baffles the mind. And we can scoff at it all we want to, but the truth of the matter is, if you do your due diligence and you look and you see what they're saying and compare it to what we know today, how could they know then what we know today only because of certain technological advances? Now, I'm sure there are theories out there. You know, uh, you see them on Ancient Aliens on the History Channel. Oh, but that's true. Don't be a science denier. <laughs> Just, by the way, that's called facetiousness, and I kid, all right? What we learn about Scripture is there are certain archaeological discoveries, scientific advancements, historical evidences that we are finding and continue to find that, that verify the veracity of Scripture as true. Things that we once thought could be myth now are being revealed as, oh my goodness, there is actually a place called this place. There was a person actually inscribed on this stone by that same exact name and, and the chances of it being anybody else but the one that's written in scripture are astronomically high. The chances, and even, even atheists and agnostic scholars who are honest will admit that some of what the Bible claims to be true, actually showing itself to be true through scientific processes, boggles the mind. 
to the point that even they will say, that is really weird. But I'm not willing to step into that. And here's the problem. When you run a race long enough and it's the wrong race, you look over the course of your life in that wrong race and you think, all of that's wasted. And we convince ourselves, I can't have wasted years running in this race for this goal only to find out it's nothing at the end. And so some people would rather live in ignorance, continuing to believe a lie because of pride. Paul, in his, I believe it's his letter to the Galatians, says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was from the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Pharisee. He says, I was all that in a bag of chips. That's from my generation. What do you guys, I was sick. Or that's probably even not. (sighs) He would say something really cool. But then you know what he comes to the, to the reality of? It doesn't just say rubbish. It's garbage. It's rubbish. King James translated, translates it as dung. And I get so ostracized for saying weird things up here. I can't. You are, you are not dignifying the office of that's You know, I, I, Jesus didn't either. So here's the thing. It's like poop. Well, that's what it is. Dung. What is dung? It's the stench of crap is what he's saying. Everything I have earned in this life that others will look at as prestigious and, the, and the, through the eyes of success is nothing but crap to the great and glorious riches of knowing Jesus Christ. There's a couple of amens in here, but that should have been arousing. Woohoo! Amen. I know that nothing that I have ever accomplished in this life compares to anything in knowing Christ. I would give every ounce of it up if I thought I was running the wrong race. If I thought, oh my goodness, I, how can I be so stupid to have this revelation of who God is through Jesus Christ and having run this race that has been away from him and to now come to the reality that this is the race I should be on, I would like to think that I would jump right on it and say goodbye to the old ways and hello to the new race. I would like to think that I would let my pride go enough to humble myself to say I was wrong. And I don't want to live wrongly anymore. Finally and lastly is this. And this is the hard one. We must not be afraid to suffer for the Lord while telling others the good news. Let me... uh, read you Matthew chapter 10 verses 16 through 20 I mentioned it earlier Jesus says Matthew 10 16 through 20 I'm reading from the NIV on this one I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves he's talking to his 12 he's sending his 12 disciples actually he's sending more than just 12 but 
He's sending his disciples out two by two. There's reason for sending them out two by two. A little historical lesson is, in the Jewish culture, if you were to be sent out just by yourself, there would not be a witness there to verify what you did or saw. So in a court of law, you had to have two people to verify, two, not just two people, two males to verify a story in order to make sure that it was true. You had to have two witnesses. So Jesus sends them out two by two, as was required by the law of Moses. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Shrewd meaning wise, smart. Be on your guard. What does a serpent do? I don't like snakes, but think about snakes. They can sneak up on you, can't they? Have you ever had a snake sneak up on you? Have you ever been walking just nonchalantly and there you are, there's a snake right in front of you, right? Because they can blend into the surroundings. They can slither through tight spaces. They can sneak up on their prey with ease. Be as wise as serpents, but innocent as doves. Innocent. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before the governors as, and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. Wait, I have to have it scripted out, though. I have to have it written on my hand. No, no, no. Don't worry about it. At that time, you will be given what to say. By whom? For it will not be your speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. You see, when we surrender our lives to Christ completely, no matter what happens to us, and it will happen, it's what we're told, suffering is a part of the Christian law. When people call you out, don't worry about a scripted manuscript of what you need to say. Speak the truth in love. And the Holy Spirit will guide you in what you are to say. See, it's a part of this trust factor. If you trust God and you lean into him, it's amazing what he can do through you. The problem is we don't trust God enough or lean into him enough to be able to allow him to work through us in ways that only he can. Because we go into things thinking it's only in my knowledge, my strength, my power that I can accomplish anything. No, 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 no. When I surrender my life to Christ, it's all about him. It's not about me anymore. That's what Paul is saying when he's saying, I count all of this stuff in the past as rubbish, garbage, dung compared to the greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. Why? Because I know in him, he is the truth. And as the truth, when I go, I go with the truth in me so that no matter what happens, where I go, when I speak, if I'm leaning into him and trusting him, then the words that come from my mouth will be him and not me. We must not be afraid to suffer for the Lord while telling others the good news. Now, Paul gives us a ton of evidence in this, uh, which I'm not going to give you today, but just look up 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and chapter 12. Read those, and I want you to dig into the Word of God and understand what Paul's saying, because he's talking about suffering for the Lord and the difficulties he's had to face. Let me, let me just give you this one, and I'll let you look up the others on your own. But listen to what he says, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I'm going to look at 24 through 30. He says, five different times, the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Now, 
It's not like go pull off a maple branch twig like I had to do as a kid and let me spank you with the maple branch twig. Lashes were with leather strips. They were made for the purpose of flogging. Not the cat of nine tails like Jesus had, but they were leather strips bound to a, to a rod that you would be flogged with. And, and Paul says, 39 lashes. Now, the Jewish law allowed 39, but no more than 39. If you did 40, you'd be breaking the Jewish law. So it says the Jewish leader gave me the maximum amount I could have without breaking the law. Three times he says I was beaten with rods, like baseball bats, okay? Once I was stoned, and he doesn't mean by marijuana or any other kind of drug. Do you understand what I'm saying? Literally had rocks thrown at him and left for dead outside of one of the cities he was ministering to. And he gets back up. And he walks back into that city. Would you do that? Hey, guys, I forgot to tell you something. You could better bet everybody was pretty freaked out. He was dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. You'd think, I wouldn't take another ship after that, right? Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea, the Mediterranean Sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I've faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I've faced danger from my own people, he says, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I've faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, on the seas. Where hasn't he faced danger? I've faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. People that go to church and are ripping me one side down the other. I... I've been attacked by all people at all places at all times, is what he's saying. I've worked hard and long, endured many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and have had often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. And then he goes on, and besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. It's hard enough for a pastor or pastors on the staff to concern themselves with one church, much less multiple like Paul had to deal with. Who is weak without my feeling that weakness, he says? Who was led astray that I don't burn with anger? If I must boast, I'd rather boast about the things that show how weak I am. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, who is worthy of eternal praise, knows that I'm not lying. You may call me a liar, but God knows I'm not lying. When I was in Damascus, the governor under the king, uh, Aretas, kept guards at the city gates to catch me. I ended up having to be lowered down in a basket through a window in the city wall to escape from him. You may have to suffer for your faith. Let me close with this. In his book, Fan the Flame, Jay Stoll writes, the Greeks had a race in their Olympic Games that was unique. The winner was not the runner who finished first in this specific race. It was the runner who finished with their torch still lit. I don't know what race you're running, where you're running to, but I hope you're running the race of the good fight of faith.
And I hope you're running and protecting that torch. You've been given the light of Christ in your life, if you're a believer in Christ. You used to sing a song, hide it under a bushel. I'm going to let it shine. As our worship team comes forward today, I don't know where you are in your race. I don't know if you're just starting out, if you're sitting on the sideline, if you find yourself running the wrong race. But there is a race where the goal and the prize is eternal life. And that race is not an easy track. It's not level terrain. It's not without obstacles. But it's good. Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, the road to destruction is wide. And many take that. It's easy. It's an easy route to take the wide route. And a lot of people are going that way. And you must think, well, if everybody's going that way, then I guess that's the way I should go, right? But Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's not that. It's not that. The gate and the way to eternal life, very narrow difficult but see this is one of the things i know the god that calls us to eternal life through difficult circumstances knows that we can do it he wouldn't call us to do the impossible without him and it's only in him that we can do the impossible if you find yourself running the wrong race sitting on the sidelines today and you want to make a change to get back on track or to even start in the right race. There are people that are willing to pray with you. There's nothing magical about coming up front to pray at these altars. You can pray where you are. God hears you, knows you, and can speak to you and hear your voice right where you are. But if you would like someone to pray with you, understand you're breaking down the barriers of social distancing and taking your own risk. But you come to my right, your left, and people will pray with you because you're signifying when you come over here, I want somebody to come pray with me. If you want to come down and be left alone, but you want to reconcile things with God on your own, you can come to my left or right. If there's not enough space there, you can use the steps. And again, if there's not enough space there, you can use your seat. You can kneel in the pew if you can get between those tight pews. But don't leave here today without knowing that the fight, of good, the fight of the good fight is not easy, but it's good. And we have one that ran that race, gained the prize, and now offers that prize to us. We just have to finish. Father, this morning, we honor you, the great victor of that race, the one who crossed that finish line first and who offers us the prize of eternal life as we run that race after you. Forgive us of our sin. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We repent of all the ways that we've been perpetuating nonsense and destruction in our own lives and maybe even in the lives of others without even knowing it. Tear down our pride, Heavenly Father. Humble us as you humbled yourself on the cross. 
Help us to become children of the one true God through Christ Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.